Iranians take to the streets to protest their dirtbag terrorist leaders in exactly the way conservatives predicted they would and in direct opposition to two weeks of leftist howling. We will examine how Trump got it so right and why reality contradicts the left's international worldview. Then Bernie takes the lead in Iowa just 20 days before the caucuses just before the next Democratic debate, Democratic Party elites are furious. I, for one, could not be happier. Then Brexit, Mexit, and the passing of the great conservative thinker of our age. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. So much to get to. Let's just recap the last two weeks real quick. The left told us that Trump initiated war with Iran by killing their military leader and frequent terrorist Qasem Soleimani. The left told us that killing Soleimani would usher in World War III. The left told us that this heightened conflict would unify the Iranian people behind their mullah terrorist regime and totally undermine American objectives in the region and really put us at a disadvantage. In reality, none of that happened. None of it, not any of it, not one little piece. In reality, the exact opposite of that happened. The perfect opposite. For one, Donald Trump did not start the conflict. Iran started this conflict in 1979, actually, but in recent days, they had been attacking our embassy in Baghdad, which was the straw that broke the camel's back. They had killed an American contractor over there for the past 15 years. They've been killing 600 U.S. servicemen. Just Qasem Soleimani is responsible for killing 600 U.S. servicemen. They started it. They've provoked it. They took our sailors hostage. Barack Obama bent over and sent them pallets of cash. Donald Trump did not send them pallets of cash. He sent them a drone and took out their top military leader. So Trump did not start the conflict. He did respond to the conflict. Then did that cause World War III? No. Actually, our retaliation against Iran's provocation deterred further aggression. In response to the killing of their top military guy, they lobbed some ballistic missiles into the dirt and they didn't kill a single American or even a single Iraqi on those military bases that they targeted. Then, did the heightened conflict unite Iran's people behind the Mullah government? Not even close. The, the heightened conflict led to mass Iranian protests in the streets of their own government. And when their government started shooting at them, they said, the enemy is here. The enemy is not America. The enemy is here. They were chanting this. So the, the Iranian retaliation against America for killing Soleimani purely symbolic. It accomplished absolutely no hard objective. It actually completely backfired, right? Because it spurred all these protests in the streets. Now, there was a strange event in the retaliation. No American servicemen killed, no Iraqi servicemen killed. But at the same time as this retaliation was going on, a Ukrainian airline crashed. Looked like it was shot down. Iran said that it was a fire and a mechanical error on the plane. That accident, that plane crash seems to have been the straw that broke the camel's back in Iran because that is spurring all of these mass protests. We'll get to what that means in a second, not just for Iran, but for the United States 
and the whole world. But first, I've got to thank our friends over at Zip Recruiter. Zip Recruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, Zip Recruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. So look, we have a lot of really talented people here at The Daily Wire. We have some not so talented people. I'm not going to say their names on air, but you know, with those people, you wish we'd used ZipRecruiter. For the majority of people though, ZipRecruiter has been such a big help. Why? Because you're not just throwing spaghetti at the wall and saying, oh gosh, I hope someone finds my job posting. They go out there, they find them for you. They analyze each applicant. They spotlight the top candidates. You will never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a high quality candidate through the site within how long? A month, a week, uh, one day, one single day. And it's so important. Time is money. You got to fill these spots, especially when you're growing your business. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. ZipRecruiter.com slash K-N-O-W-L-E-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You had a totally symbolic retaliation from Iran, and yet this airplane crashes. Initially, Iran says this has nothing to do with our retaliation against the Americans. It's a total accident. Yeah, we don't know how this plane crashed. Oh, by the way, we're not going to give you the black box. Please stop looking into it. Please go away. Then they accept responsibility. So Iran says, yes, the plane was accidentally shot down. These, these idiot mullahs shot down this commercial plane because they couldn't identify it and they worried that it was an American plane or something to that effect. Totally Iran's fault, right? They start the whole conflict. The United States responds in a really targeted way, kills their top terrorist chief. No collateral damage whatsoever. And then Iran responds and lobs some missiles into the dirt and accidentally kills 187 people, 176 people on this Ukrainian airline. Completely Iran's fault beginning to end, right? Well, that wasn't what the regime said. Javad Zarif, who is the foreign minister of Iran and also John Kerry's BFF, tweeted out, quote, a sad day, preliminary conclusions of internal investigations by armed forces, human error at time of crisis caused by U.S. adventurism led to disaster. Our profound regrets, apologies, and condolences to our people to the families of all victims, and to other affected nations. Obviously absurd. Only a complete hack whose brain has been totally eaten away by political opportunism and hatred of Donald Trump could possibly utter such a statement, could possibly think that the U.S. has any responsibility for Iran starting a, a hostility and then shooting down a commercial jet, right? So therefore we turn to Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg says pretty much exactly the same thing that Javad Zarif said. Pete Buttigieg tweets out, quote, innocent civilians are now dead because they were caught in the middle of an unnecessary and unwanted military tit for tat. My thoughts are with the families and loved ones of all 176 souls lost aboard this flight unnecessary and unwanted military tit for tat. Unwanted by whom? Iran started the thing. They started it years and years ago, but in this recent uh, altercation, they started it a few weeks ago. So they wanted it. 
did we want it? We don't, we don't want to be attacked, but if we are attacked, we're going to respond. So is Pete Buttigieg is saying, yes, it was unwanted. Iran didn't want this. What? No, none of us wanted this. No, Iran obviously did want this. That's why they started it. Unnecessary? What do you mean unnecessary? So if, if a foreign, a hostile foreign country that's trying to acquire nuclear weapons, that's been killing our servicemen for 15 years, if they attack our embassy, try to give us another Benghazi and kill an American contractor in recent weeks, it's unnecessary to respond? Is that what Pete Buttigieg is saying? What moral idiocy, what total moral blindness, what total geopolitical ignorance, unsurprising from Mayor Pete, the 12-year-old local mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who's probably going to get thrown out by the voters in his own tiny town. That's why he's got to jump and try to become president first. But, but the, the real moral idiocy here is parroting Iranian propaganda against your own country. Really, really bad look. Fortunately, though, the people of Iran have much more moral clarity than Pete Buttigieg because the people of Iran aren't gobbling up that, that mullah propaganda like he is. The people of Iran are taking to the streets not to protest the United States, not to protest Israel, not to protest any of the boogeymen that the mullahs usually throw out there. The people of Iran took to the streets to protest their own regime. And President Trump is handling that situation in a very, very smart way. We will get to that in one second. First, I got to thank our friends over at LifeLock. What is a New Year's resolution that is easy to keep? Going to the gym? Uh, probably not. Eating better? Nah, if you're like me, I don't think so. But you can resolve to help protect your identity and personal info with LifeLock Identity Theft Protection. LifeLock alerts you to potential threats to your identity. They see more than what you can see by just monitoring your own credit. They see your info on the dark web, for instance. How often are you going onto the dark web? Hopefully not very much. If you have a problem, LifeLock's U.S.-based restoration specialists know the steps to take to help resolve your case. Guys, this is a no-brainer. Protect your identity. Only one in five identity theft victims who had accounts opened in their name discovered their theft through a bank or a credit card company. You cannot rely on the credit card company to call you, okay? Now, of course, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock is the New Year's resolution that's not only easy to keep, it will help you protect what you've worked so hard for. Get LifeLock for up to 25% off your first year. I love these guys. I trust them to protect my identity. You should too. Take this seriously. As big tech, as everybody is throwing your information to the wind and your data and your identity, go to lifelock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, lifelock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S for up to 25% off. So Iran's, Iran's citizens are taking to the streets here. We've got a little bit of a clip of it. They, they're taking to the streets. Obviously, I don't speak Farsi. I suspect you don't either. But what the translators are saying is that they are chanting, we are not the enemy of the USA and Israel. Our enemy is the Islamic Republic of Iran. There were people chanting death to the regime. There were chanting, people chanting to overthrow the regime. And how is Trump responding to this? Every time Trump responds in any way to world affairs, the left says that he's going to cause World War III. Well, it's going to be tougher for them to spin this. Trump tweets out four tweets in Farsi, right? So it's, this is being tweeted directly to the Iranian people, making the mullahs shake in their boots or whatever, whatever they wear. 
He tweets out first, quote, to the brave and suffering Iranian people, I have stood with you since the beginning of my presidency and my government will continue to stand with you. We are following your protests closely. Your courage is inspiring. Now, he was mocked for this by some of his critics on the left and even on the right. They said, wait a second. Last week, you were threatening to blow up their cultural sites. Now you're saying you stand with them? Yes, of course. Of course he's stood with them since the beginning. How has he stood with them? By attacking their regime. What the right has been saying from the beginning is that there is a difference between the Iranian people and the Iranian regime. And the Iranian regime is weak. And the, the Iranian regime has to kill protesters 1,000 at a clip because of how unstable their position is. They have a terrible economy. They've got terrible beliefs. They are unpopular in the country. That's what the right believes. What the left believes is that the regime is very popular. There's no light between the Iranian people and the Iranian regime. We've got to deal with the mullahs because that's the only way that we're going to deal effectively with the country. Fundamental difference of opinion here. It would seem that Trump is right. It would seem that these protests are saying Trump is right. You know, Obama, in, during his presidency, he had the opportunity, especially 2009, to support the Iranian people who are rising up against their government. He didn't do it. It was such a cowardly act. The United States seemed as though they were going to support the protesters in the Green Revolution, and then they didn't. Then the U.S. kind of backed away. All those guys got slaughtered. So Trump is clearly picking a side here, and he picked a side since the beginning of his campaign. He tweets out again in Farsi. He tweets out again in Farsi. He tweets out a fourth time in Farsi. This time he's, he's directing this right at the mullahs. He says, the national security advisor said today that the sanctions and protests have put Iran under great pressure and forced them to negotiate. In fact, I don't care if they are negotiating. It's up to them, but don't have nuclear weapons and don't kill your protesters. Simple enough. I love this response. I don't want to negotiate with Iran. I don't care what the mullahs do. I don't care what they have to say. They're proven liars. Their word is absolutely without any credibility. No, no negotiation. I don't even like the idea that we're negotiating with these dirtbag terrorists. I don't want to sit at the same table as them. Now, the Obama approach was I'll talk to anybody. In many ways, the Trump approach is also I will talk to anybody. I mean, he's having meetings with Kim Jong-un, at least when it's strategically advantageous. But Trump is done negotiating. There, there, there is a time to negotiate and there's a time to start killing their top generals. And it would appear that we are in that latter stage. You know, there are different, different groups in the State Department, the Defense Department, the armed services. Right now, some people, their job is to go to foreign countries and to speak and to negotiate. Some people, their job is to go to foreign countries and pull the trigger and shoot guns. It would appear that we are now in that stage. Trump is simply telling Iran without any qualification, without any condition, don't get a nuclear weapon. Don't kill your protesters. The implication being, if you do that, we're going to start wrecking your country again. We just killed one of your top guys who could have been a leader of Iran. We're imposing crushing sanctions on you, which Ilhan Omar, while she's crying over Soleimani, is saying is economic warfare, right? So we are taking a very tough, tough stance on Iran. And Trump is saying, we're not going to negotiate. This is not like a, okay, well, maybe you can kill some protesters, but not all your protesters. No, don't do it. The time for negotiation is over. John Kerry is so upset about this because it make, this makes him look like such a fool. Look at what we've got here. 
we have somehow come out of this Iran hostility with the best case scenario. We have deterred Iranian aggression. When they shot those ballistic missiles in the dirt, that was the proof of that. We've deterred Iranian aggression. We've taken the biggest terrorists in the world off the board. A while ago, we took off Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS. Then we took Qasem Soleimani, at the time of his death, the biggest terrorist in the world, off the board. Then we took out his deputy from Hezbollah. He He was there as well. We blew him up as well. So worst terrorists in the world off the board. And we're encouraging the Iranian people to protest what is the most dangerous regime in the world. And by we, I mean Trump. Trump did it. You got to give the guy credit where credit's due. I've criticized Trump when he passes some law that I don't like. You know, the First Step Act he passed last year really drove me crazy. But when, when I'm considering the things that Trump has done that's driven me crazy, it's like four things. And they're relatively minor issues compared to this incredible handling of the Iran situation. I mean, you've got to keep your priorities in order. And I think a lot of the criticism of Trump on the right is people who don't really have a sense of their priorities. This was pretty incredible. And one way that we know it's incredible, you got to get your tumblers out for this one, is reading John Kerry's reaction to it. John Kerry published an op-ed in the New York Times. And the title of the op-ed, I kid you not, the original title was, Trump has destroyed what we built. ISIS? Uh, what, what, what has he destroyed? He destroyed ISIS. Uh, the uh, unity behind the mullahs? Yeah, I guess he destroyed that. Um, a bunch of stupid international accords that didn't do anything and gave up our sovereignty? Yeah, he guess he destroyed that. Uh, your terrible economy? Yeah, I guess he destroyed that. <laughs> right, he, he did destroy what you built. Whatever happened to Barack Obama too? Remember Barack Obama said, you didn't build that. Things you think you built, you didn't build that. Well, they did build all of these terrible institutions that Trump has uh, ripped down. He's ripped down the Obama legacy. That's what he's done. Trump has ripped down the Obama legacy. Now it looks like he's ripping down the opportunities for the Democrats to retake the White House. And you don't need to take my word for it. Look at the polls. Massive new poll, massively important new poll out of Iowa. For a while, you had a four-way race in Iowa between the top Democratic contenders. Now, Bernie is pulling ahead. And the reason these polls are really starting to matter is we are 20 days away from the Iowa caucuses. Bernie is now in the lead. He's past the margin of error. He is a a clear leader, even though it's still a close race. Bernie's ahead, and the Obama Democrats are freaking out. A new Des Moines Register, CNN, Mediacom Iowa poll. Bernie's at 20%. Warren is at 17%. Pete Buttigieg, who had been at 25%, he had that Buttigieg momentum. He was way up. He dropped nine points. Buttigieg is in free fall. He's down to 16%. Poor old Joe Biden at 15%. Why is Bernie surging? He's surging because he's genuine. He's genuinely awful. He's genuinely a socialist. His ideas are genuinely indefensible. His life is genuinely undistinguished. He genuinely didn't really have a job until he was like 40. But he is genuine. He is the real deal. He almost certainly knew Karl Marx when when he was a young man. (laughs) 
<laughs> he almost certainly knew Stalin when they were hanging out at bars in Russia. He is genuine and he's offering a genuine alternative to his colleagues in the democratic field and, and even to Trump. Bernie is so attractive to a certain segment of the left. He's even got one of the hottest chicks in the world to endorse him. The model Emily Ratajkowski. Emily Ratajkowski, who is in almost every way the opposite of Bernie Sanders. He's old. She's young. He's not terribly physically attractive. She's one of the most attractive women in the world. He is a millionaire. She's also a millionaire. I guess they're both millionaires. I'm seeing a thread here with socialists. Here is Emily Ratajkowski's endorsement of Bernie Sanders. Hi, I'm Emily Ratajkowski, and I'm endorsing Bernie Sanders for president. I'm 28. I'm a millennial, a true millennial. You know, I think one of the things that's so interesting about young people supporting Bernie Sanders is that he's not like a young, sexy candidate. What he says speaks so much to what people want that sort of who he is, it's so much beyond just one man. Bernie is extremely genuine. He's consistent. He's powerful, not because of who he is as one person, but because of the way that he invigorates people and excites them and brings together this movement. So when Bernie sort of popped up on the radar as this guy who had been arrested in the 60s and had been consistent in his policies, not only has he always advocated for healthcare, he's also always been on the right side as far as civil and humanitarian issues. All right, there's a lot to digest in that crazy statement, but it tells you a lot. Actually, that statement tells you a lot. Why do young people like Bernie Sanders? Broadly, why are young people identifying with socialists? You know, there are polls that come out every so often that the majority of millennials identify as socialists. The good news is only a minority of them can define what socialism is. But socialism is on the rise in a way that would be unthinkable 10 or 15 years ago. Why? Well, in part, it's because their parents are baby boomers. Their parents were the radicals of the 1960s. In part, it's because they've had a K through college education that has prepped them to veer steadily to the left. In part, it's because they were born in many cases after the fall of the Berlin Wall. They don't remember the horrors of communism. And by the way, even during the Soviet Union, even during the, those awful, awful decades of communism, the left denied it. And the American left has never really apologized for their support of communism abroad. But I think the fourth reason gets to the essence of the difference between conservative and leftist political philosophy. We'll get into the conservative point a little bit when we talk about the passing of that great conservative thinker, Roger Scruton, which is for conservatives, there is a, an intrinsic limiting principle on our political ideas. To be a conservative is to be fundamentally politically humble, right? Uh, Michael Oakeshott, the British conservative philosopher said that to be conservative, it's not just about free markets and low taxes and small government and keep your gun and go to church, right? It's not ju just that. It's to prefer the tried to the untried, the familiar to the unfamiliar, the bound to the unbound, the limited to the limitless, present laughter to utopian bliss. We want to conserve things. We don't want to run crazy. We don't, our political ambition is not that 
high. We, we believe in human nature. We don't think you can perfect human nature. We think we're fundamentally broken. We think we're fundamentally flawed. We're not going back to the Garden of Eden. There is a limit to what politics can accomplish. And that is why we need to cultivate virtue in ourselves and have a thriving civil society and have voluntary associations and limit the government's power because guess what? We're not governed by angels. Right? That's it. Because that conservative view is so humble in the face of the prospect of politics. We generally don't get out ahead of our skis. For the left, there's no limiting principle. What's the limiting principle on the left? If you start in kind of 1960s America with the premises of the 60s that Western civilization is bad, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. The, the political establishment is bad. We need to, over, America's racist, America's sexist, America's bigoted, America's bad. Our history is bad. Our founding fathers are bad. If you start with those premises that you hate your country and you don't want to conserve any of it, then what's the limiting principle? Why would you ever stop? If you, if you begin with the premise that mankind is perfectible and we're so close to utopia on earth, if you only elect me, as Barack Obama said, the sea levels will decline. The earth will begin to heal. Speaking like he's got apocalyptic visions or, you know, he's, he's going to reinstitute the Garden of Eden. If that is your premise, there's no limit. And so it doesn't matter how moderate, relatively, Democrats of the 70s or 80s or 90s looked. It was ever thus. If you begin with the premises of leftism, you were going to run away into radicalism. We're seeing the fruits of that now. And Bernie Sanders is the embodiment of it. I mean, he is an old codger whose time has come. (laughs) Bernie's been around forever. He was around St. Petersburg when he felt there was time for a change. And yet he's just lasted so long that the Democratic Party has finally caught up with his leftist radicalism. The Obama Democrats, don't forget Obama was a radical too. The Obama Democrats are terrified about this. Liz Warren is terrified about this. Nancy Pelosi is terrified about this. We'll get to all of that. We'll get to some good news in Brexit. We'll get to some bad news in Mexit. We will get to the passing of that great conservative thinker, Roger Scruton. First, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Head on over to dailywire.com. You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin show, you get the Ben Shapiro show, you get the Matt Walsh show, you get to ask questions in the mailbag coming up on Thursday. You get another kingdom. You get the John Kerry Tumblr. It's also known as the Leftist Tears Tumblr. But this week, this week, it is known as the Leftist Tears Tumblr where, where you pick it up, you know, and, and you walk up to John Kerry, he's on the phone. He says, Javad, Javad, I'm sorry about Suleimani. I'm so sorry, Javad. And the tears fall in and then you drink them and you have a lovely afternoon. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. So the left-wing Democratic radicals of yesterday, meaning the Obama team, are terrified of the left-wing radicals of today, led by Bernie Sanders. Jim Messina, who is Barack Obama's 2012 campaign manager, just came out, finally tried to stick the knife in the Sanders campaign. He said, quote, if I were a campaign manager for Donald Trump and I look at the field, I would very much want to run against Bernie Sanders. I think the contrast is the best. He can say, I'm a business guy. The economy's good. This guy's a socialist. 
I think that contrast for Trump is likely one that he'd be excited about in a way that he wouldn't be as excited about Biden or potentially Mayor Pete or some of the more Midwestern moderate candidates. He's probably right. Now, I do think that there's a chance that Bernie puts up a good fight against Trump because at least he's offering something different. He's not offering a kind of mealy-mouthed political consensus like Pete Buttigieg is just such a slime bag. He just speaks out of both sides of his mouth. Obviously, Liawatha does that too. It's that Bernie Sanders is the, is the genuine article. Well, look over in the United Kingdom. You know, we just, we just had a vote in the UK and political trends seem to follow a lot there. You know, you have, uh, in the 80s, you have the two conservative neoliberals. You've got Ronald Reagan and you've got Margaret Thatcher. In the 90s, you get the new Democrats who were liberal neoliberals. So you get uh, Bill Clinton and Tony Blair. Now you've got uh, Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, who actually even look like each other. It's very eerie, uncanny. Well, they just had their big election and the conservative, the Tory, Boris Johnson, beat out the Bernie-style socialist, Jeremy Corbyn, and beat him pretty decisively. He was simply too radical. And Bernie Sanders likely is too radical. I think if Trump goes up against Bernie Sanders, I think Trump wins. Is Bernie really, do you really think that America is going to elect Bernie Sanders? I don't. Now, I think, look, I think if the election were held today, Trump would win all 57 states. But if, if he goes up against Bernie, it could be a blowout. It could be a total blowout. That's what Jim Messina sees. That's what Elizabeth Warren sees. What's interesting about the Jim Messina comment is he says, yeah, maybe Biden would be better. Maybe Mayor Pete would be better. Or maybe one of the Midwestern moderate candidates would be better. He doesn't say Elizabeth Warren would be better. Elizabeth Warren was the golden child. She had the momentum just three months ago. And then she totally blew up her candidacy by releasing that extraordinarily silly healthcare plan. $52 trillion plan. How are we going to pay for it? I have no idea. But don't worry. Trust me. I'm Elizabeth Warren. I've never lied to you. How? I've never lied to you about how much wampum you would pay for your healthcare plan. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I have lied. Maybe I'm the most famous liar in the country. Warren is being sidelined. She's being marginalized and she's not taking it very well. She's now accusing Bernie Sanders of trashing her. Why? Because in some Bernie Sanders campaign materials, they say, as you're contrasting all the candidates, point out that Elizabeth Warren has some high dollar donors. She got some big money coming in. And Bernie Sanders is mostly relying on small dollar donors. Well, Liz Warren is furious about this. She gave a statement to the press the other day. She said, quote, I was disappointed to hear that Bernie is sending his volunteers out to trash me. I hope Bernie reconsiders and turns his campaign in a different direction. So Bernie was asked about this. He said, what are you talking about? Yeah, I, I guess someone on my campaign contrasted me with Elizabeth Warren. I'm sure people on her campaign contrast the candidates too. That's politics. I've never said anything negative about Warren because there has been a sort of solidarity between Warren and Sanders so far. But she's getting desperate, so she's trying to play the victim as she has for her entire life. She is making a huge mistake here. She was the rising candidate. She was going to be the nominee when she was riding in the moderate lane. 
Then she decided to try to out-progressive Bernie Sanders. You can't do that. That's not possible. Liz Warren is a race-hoaxing Harvard professor who has lied about everything from her health care plan to her DNA. Bernie Sanders, for all of his faults, is an honest radical. He's a kook who honeymooned in the Soviet Union. Elizabeth Warren took her first sip of beer on camera six months ago and pretended that she loves beer and that she's sort of close to her husband and hugs him and, oh, hello, hello, husband, beep, boop, beep, boop, say hello to the camera. Would you like a sip of this delicious beer, which I obviously drink all the time? He says, oh, no, thank you. This is a foreign experience to me. Please keep me off of camera. That's Liz Warren to the public. Bernie Sanders to the public, he was singing communist folk songs with his shirt off in the Soviet Union four decades ago, three decades ago. She is not going to out-progressive him. Her lane was to be the progressive establishmentarian. Her lane was to take Biden's voters. We were talking about this a few months ago, that she had to make a choice. Do I go for Biden's voters? Do I go for Bernie's voters? She chose the Bernie route, not working out for her. All of the very progressive candidates have fallen apart. Julian Castro, abortion rights for men. He's gone. Marianne Williamson, a crystal in every garage. Two cars and a crystal in every garage. Gone. Uh, Even Andrew Yang, who's a a kind of difficult candidate to classify, but he just wants to give free money to everybody. He's declining. He's not even going to be in the next debate. Cory Booker, falling apart, not going to be in the next debate. Kamala Harris, gone. All of these candidates who are running, and many who are even further to the left, gone. So what happens now, what happens now is she doubles down. Elizabeth Warren was just at a campaign event and she said that she could have taken the tack and said, look, we're all Americans. We got to come together. We've got to unite. This country is going to be okay, but we got a lot of work ahead of us, right? That's the kind of Pete Buttigieg this month path. Pete Buttigieg this month is playing the moderate. Liz Warren didn't say that. She said that you got to elect her because the future of the planet depends on this election. So I want to thank you all for being here. Um, You know, I think we all know that 2020 election is not just about the next four years, not just about the next eight years. The 2020 election may well be about the survival of our planet. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this fight. Yeah, okay. All right. That's the planet and it's all going to, we're going to have overpopulation, right? That's what they told us in the 60s. Overpopulation, we're going to have mass starvation within 10 years. What happened? None of that happened. Actually, the population of the earth doubled and everybody's fatter and richer than they ever were. We're going to have global cooling. We're all, that's going to destroy the earth. We're going to have a new ice age, right? That's what Time Magazine told us. It's what leading scientists at all the Ivy League universities told us. Yep, that didn't happen. We're going to have global warming. Manhattan and Florida are going to be underwater by 2013, like Al Gore told us, right? That didn't happen either. Okay, nobody believes it. Nobody believes that. So what happens if Bernie gets it? If it's Bernie, and if the election were held today, Trump would win every single state. He would win states that we don't even have yet, like Greenland. He would totally win Greenland, 100%. Who's going to beat him? Who's going to beat Trump? Let's say it's Bernie. I think Trump wins. Let's say it's Buttigieg. I don't think Buttigieg is going to win. I think Buttigieg is a weak candidate being propped up by white yuppies on the coasts. I don't think anybody else likes him. Klobuchar, is she going to win? Who is Klobuchar? Close your eyes. Picture Amy Klobuchar. You probably can't do it. 
Bloomberg, is Bloomberg going to win? Yeah, we need to, we need to take down Trump. Trump is so terrible. That's why we need to elect a billionaire New Yorker who's been vaguely Republican for much of his life. Yeah, that woohoo. That'll, that'll rally the Bernie bros. Give me a break. Tom Steyer. Best thing I can say about Tom Steyer is he wears nice Christmas neckties at winter debates. <laughs> Tom Steyer, he's like a, yeah, we need to beat Trump by electing another billionaire. Okay, right. The biggest weakness of all, and this is a real problem that they're in. It's a real problem, especially if Bernie gets it, but even if Buttigieg gets it, is their fundamental partisan philosophy right now, their fundamental partisan identity is in calling their opponents racists and bigots, right? That's the only common thread among all Democrats right now is if you oppose them, you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're hateful, but it's, and they do it on gender too, but it's especially on race. And yet we have just learned that the democratic presidential field has just kicked out all the brown people. They've kicked them all out. We've got another debate coming up in Des Moines. There, there will be none but white people there. All white debate. Hashtag Dem so white. We know that Bernie has very low black support. We know that Buttigieg has even less black support. Elizabeth Warren has a little bit of Native American support, but it's only about one 1,032nd Native American support. Klobuchar, I don't know. I don't even know if they're doing polls on her only white candidates. They have nothing. They're being exposed. And the reason this matters, I don't even mention it just to make fun of them for their hypocrisy. The reason it matters is because it's so obvious to the voters. The lies are so obvious. You know, when Liz Warren comes out and says, the world is going to end if you don't vote for me, nobody buys that. Even the most committed environmentalist doesn't believe that the, the future of the world hinges on electing Elizabeth Warren. It's just everyone's whipped themselves up into this kind of intellectual imaginary frenzy. And so they all nod along with it and pretend they believe what nobody believes it. And it's the same thing on race. When President Trump's black support is doubling or tripling, according to multiple polls, when his support among Hispanics is high, higher than Mitt Romney's was, and then you've got Democrats who are crashing, their leading candidates have very low black support, other than Joe Biden. Joe Biden's the only Democratic candidate with black support, which historically for the Democratic coalition is essential. And then they say, we're the party of uh, inviting all the races to the table, and yet we're going to kick them all out before our, our debate, before our first debate of 2020. So by the election year, 2020, all the Brown candidates are gone. That is just so ridiculous for voters, for Democratic voters and uh, moderate voters and independent voters, that you can't take them seriously. You cannot take those candidates seriously, even if you want to. And they don't even have impeachment. Here's Nancy Pelosi trying to explain, turning herself into tongue twisters, how they impeach Donald Trump, but it's not going to the Senate. So they're going to get him, but they're not going to get him and they want to hold it and they want to impeach him and they got nothing. Again, it's Sunday morning. Let's be optimistic about the future, a future that will not have Donald Trump in the White House. One way or another, 10 months from now, we will have an election if we don't have him removed sooner. But again, he will be impeached forever. Around the country, this leftist establishment case is weakening. It's weakening. Nancy Pelosi has nothing to offer to the American people. These presidential candidates 
have nothing to offer. That's why they're terrified. That's why Jim Messina of Obama's campaign is terrified. Around the world, the, the Obama, the leftist approach to Iran, completely falling apart. During that protest in Iran, you had a crowd of people. There, were, there was an American flag and, a, and an Israeli flag on the ground in the protest, right? So that, they, that the people could stomp all over it in the street. That was what the regime was doing. The people protesting intentionally walked around the American and Israeli flags. And what they were saying is America and Israel are not our enemy. Iran's our enemy. That's not what the establishment left has been telling us for 10 years. They've told us the regime is united. The mullahs are strong. We need to negotiate with the mullahs, right? That's falling apart. All of it's falling apart. Not just in the United States, not even just the case in Iran, in, in Great Britain, right? You had the Brexit vote four years ago. The people of Great Britain decide to pull out of the European Union. Then George Soros leading the charge said, we're going to have another vote, right? You've got George Soros, kind of the leading international leftist donor. He says, we're going to have another vote. We're going to overturn Brexit. We're not going to do it. They pour a ton of money into it, a ton of effort into it. They try to, they have a, the vote in parliament. Guess who wins? The Tory who says that I'm campaigning strictly on Brexit. Then they get into the parliament and they vote. We just had the vote in the UK House of Commons on Thursday. They passed a law allowing the country to separate from the EU on January 31st. 320 to 231. Now, I'm sure they're going to try to overturn it again. But this has legs. This has been going on now for four years, all right? It isn't just a blip on a map. Very good news for the conservative cause. Very bad news for the leftist cause. And, and it, we need good news for the, left, the conservative cause because we just lost one of our great thinkers. And because there's, there's a lot of trouble now going on in the conservative institutions that we have. I mean, the most conservative institution in the political world, you would say, is the British royal family, right? It's been around for a very, very long time. And we've got Mexit. So we've got Brexit, where the Britain pulls out of the EU. We've also got Mexit, where Meghan Markle and Prince Harry pull out of the royal family, which was a sp- surprise announcement. Apparently, the Queen didn't even know about it. And there's, a, there's an important lesson here for our decadent instaculture in, the, in Mexit. It would appear from the reporting that the reason for Mexit is that the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, wants to be an actress again. A video just emerged of Prince Harry trying to get the CEO of Disney to hire his wife. So you can, you can hear him. He's talking to the CEO of Disney. He says, you know that she does voiceovers? He says, what? He goes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's really interested in doing voiceovers. And the poor CEO of Disney is saying, Okay, nice to see you, Prince Harry. He goes, yeah, we'd love to try it. Okay, sure. And Harry keeps pushing the issue. She does voiceovers. Please hire her. Please hire her. That's pretty pathetic. It's pretty sad. Someone wants to quit being a real princess to be a Disney princess. Someone wants to quit being the real thing to being the impression of the thing on TV. And I think it represents a lot about our culture. We, we don't want to do the thing. We don't, we don't want to be the real deal. We just want to be actors and pretend to be the thing. I think it's why actors have taken on such an outsized role in our culture. More so than writers, more so than other celebrities that you would see in different eras. Not good. The reason that Meghan Markle is leaving, again, according to reporting, is she didn't realize 
that she would be a civil servant in a tiara. She didn't realize that to be a royal is not just all glamour. It's actually about duty. It's about sacrifice. It's about your country. And so they're trying to leave so that they can live a life of pleasure again. Not a good idea. Roger Scruton had something to say about this. We lost yesterday, oh, I suppose the, two days ago, he died in the evening. Probably the great conservative mind of our time, Sir Roger Scruton. He was a political philosopher and an aesthetic philosopher and a committed conservative. An aesthetic philosopher is a philosopher of beauty. And it's, it's one thing that made his views so interesting is he approached conservatism, not primarily as just a matter of economics or spreadsheets or bean counting, or just primarily as a constitutional arrangement. I get to keep my guns and that's it. He, he also approached it from the realm of beauty. What are we conserving? What are we doing? You know, there was a big debate. There's been a big debate brewing for months and months now between conservatives or traditionalists, you might call them, and the more libertarian-minded people or classical liberals, right? And a big difference between those two is the one approaches politics primarily from a realm and a lens of rights. That's kind of the liberal view. I have this right. I'm entitled to this good or service. I'm entitled to be pro this protection. I'm entitled to this, that, and the other thing. And the conservative view looks at politics from a realm of duty and obligation and loyalty and love. And Roger Scruton advanced that view. I mean, he was a really great man. He was a great academic, fearless. He risked his life to go into communist Eastern Europe and establish academic networks there and try to give people a semblance of academic freedom. I mean, he, he really practiced what he preached. And he took conservatism beyond the kind of slogans, bumper stickers, doctrinaire ideology that was becoming popular in the 1980s, say. And he pointed to a deeper conservatism. He has a quote. I mean, there's so many good quotes, but one of them is, the real reason people are conservatives is that they are attached to the things that they love and want to preserve them from abuse and decay. They are attached to their family, their friends, their religion, and their immediate environment. They have made a lifelong distinction between the things that nourish and the things that threaten their security and peace of mind. Such a simple description of why somebody is conservative. And he, he was asked once, what is a conservative? He said, well, put simply, a conservative is one who wants to conserve things. That makes a whole lot of sense. This led to a great defense of the nation state against internationalism or globalism. Uh, Scruton wrote extensively about that years and years before Donald Trump, sort of uh, predicting what Donald Trump would be or, or, or giving you a little glimpse of what, what Donald Trump would bring us years before that happened. To celebrate the life of Roger Scruton and commemorate the life of the man, I highly recommend you go on YouTube and watch his documentary, Why Beauty Matters. I think it will deepen anybody's political philosophy and political worldview. The, this was a, a documentary he did for the BBC. It was much more popular than their leftist document. They made two leftist documentaries to counter his one conservative documentary because then it's a fair fight. And they never aired the, they, they haven't continued to air the, the conservative documentary, but there's a pirated version on YouTube and it's the pirated Portuguese version, but it's all in English. So it's not a big deal, which is uh, why beauty matters. Por que importa la beleza? Check it out.
I, I think it will, uh, it will be a, a last parting gift from Roger Scruton to all of us who are conservative now and who will someday become conservative because of the arguments in part that he makes. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Director, Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Jesua Olvera. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. On the Matt Walsh Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation.